Hi, this is Suparna Goswami, Principal Correspondent with Information Security Media Group. I have the pleasure of speaking today with David Holmes, Principal Threat Researcher at F5 Networks. Today, we will be talking about vulnerability of IoT devices and why will it continue to be a highly exploitable tool for cyber attackers. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me on. So, David, you have recently released a report about ThinkBot. What is ThinkBot and what are its security implications? Sure. About two years ago, we started really monitoring the IoT space. And it's because we were seeing attacks against our own infrastructure that we suspected were being delivered from Internet of Things, from various routers and bots. And so we started a research project where we began monitoring the Internet of Things. What we were seeing was somebody appeared to be building a botnet out there. When we first started our research, we saw 140% year-over-year increase in probe, people scanning port 23, trying different default passwords. And we released a report scene where we warned the world, hey, somebody's building a giant botnet out of IoT devices. We don't know who it is or what they intend to do with it. But um, we released that report. And then just two months later, the Mirai botnet. And we have been monitoring the the Mirai botnet, and but also other botnets that have been created since. Now, none of them have had the destructive power of the Mirai botnet. We had been monitoring a couple of Perserai botnet, which was composed entirely. It's like a little video system for, say, like a house or something. You would very, very cheap devices, but they had somehow evaded Mirai, but then they got snared up in the Perserai and it never actually attacked anybody, but we suspect it could have been used for almost anything else for surveillance or maybe as jumping off points. And then we have seen what is fascinating is the creation of a thing bot, which is called sometimes is called IO Troop or IO Trooper or Reaper. We, that is, it appears to be a proof of concept bot, ThingBot, as a sort of a botnet comprised mostly of Internet of Things devices. But Reaper appears to be like a proof of concept, advanced bot capabilities for spreading but also simultaneously being controlled and then launching really sophisticated attacks is quite impressive. Sort of future generations, botnet creators who perhaps aren't so academic and maybe benevolent may stand on the shoulders of the people who built Reaper to build some really advanced, sophisticated bots that really do attack people or do some kind of nefarious activity. So it's a fascinating world and we think the Internet of Things will basically be the attacker platform of the future because the Internet of Things is so insecure as basically most people who have study this at all, realize that I mean, it's such early days for IoT security that you can create these botnets so easily. And it's just it's free attack power, free computing for people who want to build botnets. It's interesting you mentioned that, you know, IoT is probably going to be the attacker platform of the future. So now with many countries are now devising smart nation plans, what are some of the security considerations according to you that they should keep in mind, especially with the rise in IoT botnet driven attacks that you mentioned and the possible public safety issues of these systems. What do you think are the important steps that need to improve the security of the IoT ecosystem? That's a great question. Whenever you hear the term smart, you should also think in your head vulnerable. Because you have to put so much general purpose computing power into things to make them smart, there's so many different ways to exploit them. Now, there's good news and bad news. And I've I have been talking with a few smart city planners around the world, and they're highly aware, this is the good news, where that there's fairly major security implications on building a smart city. So they want to take the correct procedures. Now, the, perhaps the bad news is it's such early days, you know, not just with the Internet of Things and smart cities, but even say the Internet as a whole. Remember, we're only 25 years into this. And how long did it take humanity to create proper building codes for buildings that don't fall over in an earthquake, right? Many parts of the world 
still haven't done that. And in the developed parts of the world, it took us, how long have we been having buildings? Like 5,000 years? The technology is changing so fast that I think even if people did come up with really good, strict, rigid ways and procedures and processes to properly secure things, those would be out of date before too long. Now, there is some guidance that I will talk about, but I did want to talk a little bit more about the sort of smart city environment. And this is what, what I have been seeing in many places around the world, Europe and America. In general, people's smart cities are not everything that, say, the city media department says it is. Does that make sense? So a city or a mayor may say, you know, we're building a smart city and we're really making some progress. In reality, the reality on the ground is many cities that claim to be building a smart city, they just have like one or two projects, perhaps uh, like they're starting a smart grid. And I remember there's one city in America where they had made these announcements about their smart grid but in reality, they had started like one pilot project and it got stalled um, once they started trying to figure out, okay, these smart things appear to work, but how do we secure them? And then they didn't, they didn't really know how to get their hands around how we can handle all the authentication and authorization of all these data coming into it and how do we secure it? So that's one thing to note is, is you know, if you are a smart city planner and you see some announcement in the press about somebody else's smart city, you know, take it with a grain of salt. So if, you're, if you're a smart city planner and you're struggling to figure out how to secure these things, you're not alone. Almost everybody is in that same boat. Now, there's a couple of ways that I have seen smart cities getting built. And one of them is, I'll just pick on Australia, for example. So in Australia, the main sort of telco there is Telstra. And in a theoretical example, let's say a city in Australia might want to say, okay, we want to start, say, maybe a, a parking meter system. We want smart parking meters or, or smart streetlights. Telstra might approach them with a bid like, you know, a project. Here's what we would do, how we would do it, how we'd secure it. And very often the city planners will go, cool, because we don't have the people to design all this stuff. We're just going to let you do it and you run with it. And so very often the security of the systems that are getting built are done by the telcos. And that's a good and bad thing. I think it's good because if anybody has those people, it's very often the service providers and the telcos, right? They have the people to do that kind of project. And the telco and the service provider is a big enough. Many times, you know, it's the former state entity, or sometimes it is the state entity. They're not going to go out of business tomorrow and leave everybody stranded with, with all these devices that have been deployed. Now, the a lot of times the things that will matter at a citywide scale are not the same things that matter for consumer. So for consumer IoT security, that's almost like an oxymoron. That just doesn't even really exist. So more good news for smart cities is that take a step up and people want to do business with sort of larger companies that they're pretty sure are going to be around and be able to support these devices so that they can perhaps have a better security posture. Sure. What are the important steps that need to be done to improve the security of the ecosystem. Okay, great. So you you might think, okay, well, cool. That's how everything's going. How do we secure these things? It, there are some things that are absolutely known about building, say, a smart parking meter or a smart grid or something. These things should be threat modeled. But the important part there is the prioritization and the way that you can prioritize these things actually falls down to a quantifiable algorithmic uh, numeric system where you can come up with, okay, here's my 100 top 100 threats to this project. And here they are in order of priority. And then you can, you know, if you're building the system, we're going to make sure that everything with a score of 50 and above is, is addressed, that there's some kind of uh, remediation plan for 
for all of these things. So for the people who are building smart cities or smart city projects, I'm a firm believer that threat modeling is key. We're having to remind people, okay, you need to pay extra security attention now to your applications. Like even if you didn't think you had to, it falls within the IoT scope where you have to protect the applications are managing it. And so application protection is a little bit more mature of a technology than say just the IoT in general. And, and probably the number one defense for application security is something called a web application firewall. Okay, David. So you said your threat modeling is a key. Another mm-hmm. thing that I keep hearing is for IoT security by design. So given how IoT is expected to be rolled out at a scale, what can organization and technologists do to ensure that security is implemented in parallel or by design? And can current security strategies really scale in a feasible way? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And there's so many different aspects to it. If you just think about the scalability for a minute, many people have seen, I think three analyst firms had put out a number that said by 2020, there'll be 20 billion IoT devices, right? There's only 7.8 billion people on this planet and only half of them have internet access. So in just two years, there will be more IoT devices than there are people, which is interesting to think about. And it's hard enough to secure people, (laughs) much less billions and billions of devices. And I think one of the more interesting stats I saw recently with a projection was something like 85 billion devices by 2025. That's an insane amount. And there's a lot of bad news in these scalability numbers. And, and part of it comes from people are rushing to build IoT whatever as fast as they can. And very, very often it's whoever's first to market. So everyone's rushing to market to, to get their new IoT thing out there. And many times when that happens, the security suffers because it, if it is done at all, it's done as an afterthought. And it may be done by people who don't know how to build things securely. So I here's a prediction for me is that I think consumer level IoT security will continue to be a nightmare for at least another decade. If you take a step up into kind of maybe enterprise grade or smart city grade IoT, it's going to be slightly better, but it's still going to be a challenge. And there is an interesting, a bright spot on the horizon. And it is in the United States, Senate Bill 1691, which is titled the Internet of Things IoT Cybersecurity Improvement Act of 2017. And if you had asked me a year ago or a year and a half ago, did I think legislation was the way the way forward for IoT security, I would have scoffed at you because legislation typically only covers like one domain, right? Like say that's uh, if that does get passed, it just affects the United States. However, the bill is constructed in such a way that I think it may actually work. The way this particular bill is going to work is the budget, IT budget for the United States is $85 billion a year. The Internet of Things Cybersecurity Improvement Act says, okay, none of that budget can be spent on IoT devices that do not meet this minimum criteria. And the criteria, I'll just highlight three things. It has things like it can't have default passwords, which was how the Mirai botnet got built. It has to have an update mechanism within it so that, you know, as vulnerabilities are discovered in an IoT device, they can be addressed remotely. And then the third one is it, it could contain no known vulnerabilities. All products have vulnerabilities. This allows a, say, somebody who's deploying some kind of airport video system, they could push back on a vendor and say, look, I'm sorry, I you have to fix the these problems before I can deploy this without this getting fixed. Now, is that going to fix the the consumer security problem? No. But for many, many things, I think that kind of pressure, this Senate bill becomes law. I have talked to analysts around the world who think that this may become the template for other governments around the world. We're going to be keeping an eye on it because you could imagine the the Changi airport in Singapore. I'd heard that it has like 20,000 video cameras in it, right? Imagine if all of those had some vulnerability that couldn't be patched. That would be an 
intense amount of firepower that somebody, if they could build a botnet out of just the airport, they could attack anything in Singapore and there'd be almost nothing that anybody could do about it. So this bill, if it spreads around the world, like I'm hoping, it may improve a large chunk of the IoT security problem. But then to address specifically your question about by design, there's another bright spot on the horizon is something called named data networking. It's a series of protocols which are very, very much unlike our existing internet protocols. They're designed with the internet of things in mind and they're designed in such a way that they try to address the security problems that we accidentally let into the internet in the first place. So the, the named data networking project tries to address a lot of the things that we didn't do right when we built the internet the first time. And I'm hopeful, I'm not. I'm certainly not predicting that everyone's going to jump on the named data networking bandwagon. I think there's going to be problems because it's not directly compatible with the existing internet. Name data networking tries to fix problems of spoofing. I'm very hopeful about it. And we also are keeping our eye on that as well. Sure. Thank you, David, for sharing your thoughts on the challenges of IoT. You were listening to David Holmes for ISMG Nisha. This is Suparna Goswami. Thank you for listening.